This episode is brought to you in part by Wholehearted Love, a new book by Caleb and Stephanie Rouse. Overcome the barriers that hold you back in your relationships with God and with others and delight in feeling safe, seen, and loved with Wholehearted Love. For more information, go to Tyndale.com. Hi, I'm Ashley Hales, host of the Finding Holy Podcast. Here at the Finding Holy Podcast, it's our aim to help you connect the dots between the things that really matter and your everyday holy life. You're probably running around right now. There's errands and jobs and to-do lists and kids and oh, so much laundry. So you listen to podcasts to laugh, to learn, and to sometimes get a little nugget of truth to take into your day. But it's easy often to create boxes for things. A box for chores, a box for my marriage or friendships, a box for parenting and work, and a big box for the things of Jesus on Sundays. But we all want to live wholehearted, meaningful, rich lives, and yet we feel fragmented. That's why here at the Finding Holy Podcast, we help bring you great conversations with authors, pastors, artists, and activists to hear how they connect the big things of life into the ordinary habits of their days. So we don't have to live a life of boxes, but we can live a spacious life, whole, integrated, and focused on the meaningful way of Jesus. And just for fun, you'll get to hear everyone's laundry routines because big things matter, but so does the laundry. So I hope you'll stick around. Be sure to rate and review the podcast. And here's a little bit about my guest. My guest today is Jake Meter. He is the editor-in-chief of Mere Orthodoxy and author of the book In Search of the Common Good, Christian Fidelity in a Fractured World. He lives in Lincoln, Nebraska with his wife and three children. We got to chat on his podcast, Mere Fidelity, a year ago, and now he's here on the Finding Holy podcast. Make sure you listen in to the very end where we take some of his wisdom and our conversation into one small step for your everyday holy life. And here is my conversation with Jake. I'm excited to welcome Jake Meter to the podcast today. Thanks for being here, Jake. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Yes, it's really super fun to have you. So we were chatting beforehand about kind of our early scholarly lives. And so today we're kind of bringing some of all of these big ideas into our everyday practical ordinary lives. And so I would love Jake to just tell us a little bit about his new book, In Search of the Common Good. So give us a little synopsis so we can dive into some of the the themes there. So the basic argument of the book is that Uh, We're not just going through this moment of religious crisis in American life, which is Mm -hmm. something that I think a lot of Christians are already kind of aware of and thinking about um, from lots of different books that are out there. But um, I think what happens a lot is that the conversation about Christian decline or religious decline gets cut off from broader conversations about Mm -hmm. just the state of um, common life in Mm -hmm. the U.S., Mm And so when you actually dig into the broader kind of social science and just the scene in the U.S. right now, what you have is rising loneliness. Mm -hmm. Um, Sigma had a study last year, half of all Americans say they don't have 
personally significant conversations on a daily basis. Um, you have more and more people living alone. You have people getting married later or not at all, um, having children later or not at all. I actually mm-hmm. just saw a thing last week that said it is entirely possible that in the next few years, adult diaper sales will start to um, exceed infant diaper sales in the U.S. Mm-hmm. And so you have just this very deep sense of isolation that mm-hmm. I think a lot of people feel. Mm-hmm. And I even like the reading I'm doing about college campuses now, the story that stands out to me on college campuses is not all the free speech stuff. Mm-hmm. It's mental health stuff. Yeah. And so I would like to see um, American Christians not just attending to um, a renewed commitment, or not just adopting a renewed commitment to catechesis mm-hmm. and spiritual formation within our own circles, as important as that is, but also looking around us and realizing that we have neighbors who are desperately lonely mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and we have something to offer them. Yeah. So that's, that's the main thrust of the book, I think, right. is how can yeah. Christians be a good neighbor mm-hmm. in a very alienating society? Mm-hmm. How would you um, kind of separate the strands for us of, of this kind of social common good that's broken down? If you could kind of say, okay, here are the three main areas, you know, that that I see are broken down and here's what the church can do to put those strands back together. Yeah. So the three areas I focus on in the book are work, community, and Sabbath. Yeah. Um, So having a rhythm of rest built Mm -hmm. into your life. Mm -hmm. And my argument in the book is that, and this is just kind of classic reformed thought, but marriage, work, and Sabbath are the three norms of human mm-hmm. life before mm-hmm. the fall. Mm-hmm. Those are the things that people do by nature as God made us in a world without sin. Yep. And so it shouldn't surprise us if we see breakdowns in all of those areas mm-hmm. leading to the large-scale problems mm-hmm. that we're experiencing today. So um, in the chapter on work, I just talk about how a late capitalist system really introduces lots of distortions mm-hmm. to the way we think about work. Um, there was actually, I, I wish I had had it to cite when I was writing the book, there was a column in the Times a couple weeks ago where the headline was something like, can the mega rich just stop working? Mm-hmm. No. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the, the argument was, theoretically, if all of these super rich people that don't necessarily need to work mm-hmm. stop working, there could be lots of downstream benefits for the mm. rest of us. Mm. But the reality is when you talk to a lot of these folks, they don't know who they would be if they weren't right. working. Right. And so work is not fulfilling. It's not so big that they provide for their material life mm-hmm. in the mm-hmm. world. Mm-hmm. It is actually who they are. Right. And that creates some really perverse um, aspects of your relationship to work, um, whether you're one of the winners or one of the losers Mm -hmm. in this system. Mm -hmm. Um, Because if you're one of the winners, you have that kind of, I don't know who I would be if I didn't have this. Mm -hmm. You're probably also working pretty long hours. There's a lot of studies coming out that show our elites, unlike the elites of virtually any other society before us, are Mm -hmm. working 60, 80, 100 hour weeks. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And if you're one of the, if you aren't one of the winners in this order, mm-hmm. you're probably working a full-time job if you're fortunate enough to have one, and then also doing some gig economy work to make ends meet. Mm-hmm. And that 
it's just, again, you're working very long hours, but it mm-hmm. also makes it very hard to have friends because you are working during the business day mm-hmm. and then your nights, maybe you're driving an Uber or you're doing some kind of part-time gig that you found in your in your area. Um, that's very isolating because mm-hmm. that might be the time when you could be going out for coffee with a friend, but you can't because you have to work. So what does the church do? It strikes me as a very pervasive problem of discipleship, right? Even within the church mm-hmm. over several generations that we have, even in the mm-hmm. church, kind of continue to see the church as another consumer product. Yeah, but so I think the the starting point, um, because what, what can happen is you spend, and this is something I struggle with, you spend mm-hmm. a lot of time looking at the problems mm-hmm. and it becomes paralyzing. Right. Because it feels too big. Yep. Um, I don't know where to start. Mm-hmm. And so I think one of the things that we just need to remember is that ultimately it's God who is working. He works through us, but he can accomplish his purposes any way he chooses. Yep. Um, so it is not on us to fix everything. Um, another thing that I think is important to remember is that we shouldn't be surprised when people who are really hungry make their way to the dinner table. Like that's one of the things that as I've been following, like as we're talking, it's been about a week since the um, Kanye record came out. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it's been this kind of encouraging reminder to me, assuming this is a real thing. And it seems to be that if things are as rough in the world as Mm -hmm. my own book says, (laughs) I should not be surprised Mm -hmm. when people become Christian. Mm Like that there's a certain sense in which we should be like, well, of course, right. Like I just read a novel not that long ago by a young woman who also had a kind of unlikely conversion over the past year. Mm -hmm. And even as I say unlikely, I think it's only unlikely if you read her work in a very superficial way, because if Mm -hmm. you read her novel, you get done and you're like, well, of course you became a Christian. You were either going to like do something insane and take your own life or something right. or like do something right. drastic because right. you couldn't live in that world or you were going to find some sense of anger, mm-hmm. meaning, mm-hmm. identity. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I think those two things can hopefully be encouraging. And then mm-hmm. after that, I think it's just looking for small things you can do with what you have where you are. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that could be very ordinary things. Um, I'm a former Labrie student Mm -hmm. and life at Labrie is very simple. You work together, you have meals together, you have a movie night once a week together that you talk about. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that kind of simplicity of Christian piety, spiritual formation Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. can be a really helpful thing now. Like, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. okay, you probably cannot make all of your neighbors not feel lonely and alienated but maybe you can have people over for a meal once a month yeah maybe you can let people at your church know hey once a month we're having morning prayer at our house Mm -hmm. and then like don't even bother with writing your like just use the book of common prayer or something like right (laughs) use the valley of vision we have we have lots of resources here Mm -hmm. so use Mm -hmm. the resources that are provided for you by the historic church and mm-hmm. try to do mm-hmm. something attainable. Yep. Um, there's Start also small. a thing. There's a, <laughs> yeah. There's a pastor in North Carolina named John, John Thornton 
mm-hmm. who his church is doing a debt relief um, kind of program or ministry within their church. So they dedicate a portion of their church's budget to helping people pay off debt mm. because they reason it's, it's highly likely that the vast majority of our congregants have a large amount of debt. Mm-hmm. And this has a really adverse effect on their life. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so can we get a certain amount of money together so that we can give it to them to mm-hmm. help with mm-hmm. that? Mm-hmm. And that it's not something that I know of many churches doing, Yeah, but it does strike me as a very good example of a common purse, which is a, a theme mm-hmm. in scripture. Yep. Um, it strikes me as a good example of being attentive to mm-hmm. the needs of the poor. Mm-hmm. And so I, I'm curious, he, the church has just launched in the last few months, so mm-hmm. there's not a long track record here to right. see how that goes, right. but I'm intrigued by it, and mm-hmm. I'm encouraged to see churches thinking in these ways, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, trying to be practical and find tangible ways mm-hmm. of assisting their neighbors. Mm-hmm. In what way, um, I mean, other than obviously the Spirit of God working in a heart's but in what way can we help others develop a sense of commonality again, of common life, of um, communal identity uh, that, you know, it goes beyond, you know, the busyness of an individualism, you know, typified where I am here in the California suburbs, um, mm-hmm. you know, that it's usually right when through suffering or pain or loss that people you know, are realizing mm-hmm. that they, yes, I am lonely or this busyness mm-hmm. or this job is not the thing that will satisfy me. Um, but what, what kind of practical things might you recommend to help um, inculcate a sense of communal life mm-hmm. as a virtue? Um, good question. So I think a big part of the answer has to be that community life happens in places. Yeah. Um, so there has to be the kind of structure that exists that people can come into mm-hmm. um, to experience welcome and hospitality. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't have to be like a huge house and like an immaculately clean sitting room. Like it can be very ordinary. We had mm-hmm. a piece at Mere Orthodoxy um, by a friend of mine named Brandon McGinley last year that was basically on demystifying hospitality. Mm-hmm. And he talked about how they have a group of friends in their neighborhood. Um, they're all Catholic and they go to the same parish and they meet at least once a week together for a meal. And he mm-hmm. said, there have been times where we have just gotten pizza from Aldi yep. and that's okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I say that there's a place, there's a structure, it doesn't have to be a very developed structure, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but there does need to be a structure of some kind where people can meet. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I just had a conversation and I'm, I'm hoping I'll get to continue having these conversations. Our, our, our son is taking fencing lessons. And so I just, I mean, he's little enough that I need to stay there anyway the whole time. Mm-hmm. But, but the dad, a dad of one of the other students and I just got to talking last week. And my wife has talked to this same father a couple times as well. And so we're getting to know him mm-hmm. um, just by participating. Um, there's something, I don't remember who it was that coined the term, but they're called third places. Yeah. And the idea yeah. is um, places of meeting for people other than the home and workplace. Right. 
And so if we're participating in the third places that already exist, mm -hmm. while also trying to create some very limited ones ourselves, mm -hmm. I think that is a certain sense in which that's really the only way the work can happen. Um, so like I know I have a, a good friend who's a pastor and he makes a point of doing his sermon prep in the same coffee shop. Yeah, yeah. Most weeks. Mm -hmm. um, another, my old pastor here in Lincoln would write his sermons at the cigar bar downtown every week, mm -hmm. which was kind mm -hmm. of fun because you would walk in, he'd be smoking a pipe, have a <laughs> beer on the table, mm -hmm. while also having his Bible and commentaries and laptop. Yes, yes that's great. <laughs> You're like, um, am I back with the inklings? No. Right, right, yeah. Um, but what those things do is by being there, it gives mm -hmm. you a chance to get to know the people yes, yes. and form relationships. And I think you do like people's lives don't stop because they're lonely. Mm -hmm. um, things continue to happen. And so um, you, as you are forming that relationship with them, you might be there when right. something like I remember there is a, I don't go there as much anymore because my friends that I went there with have moved away and it's just harder to get out with little kids. But I used to frequent that same cigar bar mm -hmm. for a while. And the one night I was there late and I ordered a more expensive shot of bourbon than I yeah. usually get uh -huh. and kind of felt compelled to explain myself to the bartender <laughs> for some yeah. reason. And I got it because a year before I had been at that cigar bar with one of my best friends when I got the call that my dad had woken up from a coma. Mm. Um, he had had a brain injury and we didn't know if he was going to wake up. Yeah. And my mom called me while I was sitting there with him mm -hmm. and told me that my dad had opened his eye. Mm. And so when I found that out, I went to the bar and I got this more expensive shot of yep. bourbon to celebrate. Yep. And so I was there about a year later and decided I wanted to kind of remember that day so mm -hmm. I got that and it mm -hmm. led to this conversation with the bartender mm -hmm. about mm -hmm. that whole story in my life so I think yeah. when you are part of those third places mm -hmm. it gives you a chance to just enter into people's lives as they're happening yeah yeah and I um, agree a hundred percent um yeah it's really hard right when your place doesn't the fabric of your place doesn't support that you know that everyone is mm -hmm busy and they're worried about a million other things um and it's in yep. extremely countercultural, right to slow down and to you know value face-to-face -face interaction to go out of your way to mm. you know speak to the the dad you know at, at, at the sports practice um yeah so that strikes me interestingly you say in your book at one point that um you know that to kind of inculcate a love of small things and a fidelity to small mm -hmm. places um, that these are the things that matter and ultimately enable great deeds of courage, um, which I, mm. which I thought was really beautiful because I think all of our places, whether we live in Manhattan or suburban America or middle America, wherever we live are small. Um, and, and probably mo more of us need to consider the ways that our, our small places can actually lead towards courage. Mm -hmm. Well, courage it. I don't remember if it was Lewis who said this or someone else, but the idea is that courage is the form that every virtue takes when mm -hmm. put to the test. Mm -hmm. um, and so, like, <laughs> you 
live your life in a way that you love what is lovely and Mm -hmm. you feel a sense of commitment to it and fondness for it um, and desire to be faithful to it. And Mm -hmm. when you are tested, um, I think that love can carry you. Mm -hmm. Um, Certainly, I've seen that in my own family. Um, I mean, my, my dad's coming up on four years since his brain injury and is still extremely limited in what he can do. Mm-hmm. And I think my parents' marriage is a testimony to mm. what a relative, I mean, people get married all the time. Like we, it's not a very extraordinary <laughs> or unusual thing. And right. yet I think what I've seen in their marriage over these last few years shows what marriage can be mm-hmm. um, when it's mm-hmm. anchored in something real. Yes. Yeah. You know, small acts of faithfulness <laughs> again and again, right? Right. Mm-hmm. It's always small elements, right? All the way, yep. all the way through. Um, yeah. Not only yeah. our lives, right? But great. You just think of the parables of Jesus and it's mm-hmm. small things, you know, again and again that show us what the kingdom is. My my campus pastor in college, I was in RUF, and so he was at Nebraska for eight years, and he was my campus pastor my last two years that I was mm-hmm. there, and he by the time so by the time I I had him, he'd been there for six years, mm-hmm. and he said to me once, he said, I get so tired of having to talk to these young evangelical kids who have been brought up mm-hmm. to think that their spiritual life is moving from mountaintop experience to mm-hmm. mountaintop experience. Mm-hmm. And so you have the winter youth conference in January or February, and then your youth group has summer camp. Yeah. And then maybe you bring in some speaker in October. Um, maybe you do some special Christmas events mm-hmm. and their spiritual life is just moving from experience to experience. Yeah. And the actual formation of a mature and grounded Christian mm-hmm. just kind of never really got addressed for a lot of these kids that yeah. he was working with. Yeah. And he was like, I, I, like want to just tell people that like what God's called you to is to love him, to love people, to help you do this. You should be reading your Bible and praying and receiving the Lord's supper. You should be spending time with the poor. Like these are the things that God gives you to shape Mm -hmm. you after Mm -hmm. himself. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And he had had so many people who'd been in the church his whole life and never really been taught that kind of stuff. Right. And so it's, we're, we're, there's a certain sense in which I think the church is living in the consequence of that now. Right. Yes. I would agree a hundred percent. Yeah. Tell us what you've done maybe in your own local congregation or, you know, in your family life uh, towards kind of reweaving these strands of community and Sabbath and marriage. What does that look like for you? Or even thinking about, you know, how are you extending this to your, to your children? Yeah. Yeah. So we're deep in parenting little people right now. Our Mm -hmm. oldest is six. Our youngest is two. Oh yeah. And we have another on the way in a few months and we we have a four-year-old in between there. So um, time is short, but I think one of the things, there's a, a little movie called Look and See, Laura Dunn made about Wendell Berry, and mm-hmm. something that Wendell's daughter talks about in that movie is when she was being brought up, her parents were constantly, when they were out walking, which they were doing, they were mm-hmm. out walking um, with their kids, and they were constantly pointing out to her, see that thing, it is beautiful, mm-hmm. see that field, it was not plowed well, 
Mm. Why was it not plowed well? Like just trying to help her and her brother see and Mm. be attentive to things. Mm. Um, So that's something that I try to do with our kids. I don't know always how successful it is, but that's something that we try Mm -hmm. to do is just drawing their attention to things that are going on around them that are well done or beautiful or Mm -hmm. done badly um, Mm -hmm. and provide a chance to talk with them about Mm -hmm. stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, Like even last night, I actually, I've been introducing the older ones to Tom and Jerry cartoons lately. Uh And so I was talking with my daughter last night. I was like, do you think our cat has any adventures like this late at night? (laughs) And so we were making up stories about what Mm -hmm. our cat does late at night, but just doing things like that to like keep the world kind of strange and interesting and unpredictable, I think can be important. Yes. Um, Something I've wanted to do and we just have not had the chance to get it off the ground at church yet, but um, there's an old Front Porch Republic essay where mm-hmm. the author, whose name escapes me now, but he used the phrase neighborly art. Mm-hmm. And what he meant by that are practical skills that are of value to your neighbor. Mm-hmm. And so that could be basic car repair. It mm-hmm. could be um, being able to cook certain things in the kitchen. It could be home repair. Mm-hmm. Um, there's any number of skills that would fall under that category but something I've wanted to do for a long time mm-hmm. is just organize a monthly thing where somebody from church who maybe is a bit of a gearhead or is really good at sewing um, things like that just has one hour kind of teaching time one night at the church where people mm-hmm. can just come mm-hmm. and they can invite neighbors like it's not really a overtly Christian thing it's just right. this church that's trying to equip their members Mm -hmm. to be good neighbors Mm -hmm. by like yeah I know how to change brake pads on a car so instead of going to spend a thousand dollars or whatever at at a shop getting your brakes fixed let's go to advanced auto parts together let's buy the part and like you're riding together with them as you're going to do that Mm -hmm. and then you're working on it together Um, Mm -hmm. it creates an opportunity for a kind of organic community that doesn't have to be planned Right. Because you're yeah. doing the things of ordinary daily life that have to get done. You're just creating a way of doing it with other people. Mm-hmm. So we haven't been able to get one of those off the ground yet at church, but that's something I've I've had the idea for years and we yeah. just haven't been able to that's do great. it. But Thanks for sharing it here. Hopefully more people. Yeah. yeah. No, yeah. but what we'll strikes see. me about that is helpful is like, you know, there is intention, right? There's planning. There is kind of the setting up of the situation that would allow for more organic relationships, you know, and a thicker community to form. But, you know, so it's not just like we expect something just going to be organic, um, you know, Mm -hmm. and and happen automatically. And neither does it need to be so planned, right? That if Mm -hmm. if the program isn't there, that people don't know how to be good neighbors, but it, you know, marries the Well, and it can be very simple because, like we have a friend from church who um, he and I have like, he's come over a couple times and looked at something on our car mm-hmm. just to help me get a sense of what's going on with it. And then mm-hmm. there was another time, like he was kind of out looking for jobs and I happened to know someone mm-hmm. and it wasn't like, it was a very easy thing for me to do. I was just like, Oh yeah, if you're looking for work, I think 
you should talk to this guy. And then right. it ended up working out. Mm-hmm. We've never had this family over for dinner. I mean, we should, <laughs> but we haven't. We've right. never done any kind of like planned, we're going right. to get together for this time and hang out. Mm-hmm. But just because we see each other at church on Sundays, I know that he's good with cars. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We've been able to get to know each other kind mm-hmm. of within the margins of life as mm-hmm. he's like stopping at our house on his way home from work right. to listen to this sound my car is making and tell <laughs> me if I should be worried. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah, that's great. I think it's, it's wonderful to think about, okay, though the situation might look really bleak, you know, when you look at, read the news headlines and you, you know, see the lack of spiritual formation, you know, coming up through the church and yet it starts by really small things, mm-hmm. right? Being faithful to our oh, yeah. places and to our people. Well, I asked a pastor I was getting drinks with just yesterday. I was like, help me understand, like, we've, we live in this moment where a lot of Christian ideas are contested, to say yep. the least, mm-hmm. um, if not outright rejected and seen as dangerous. Mm-hmm. And I was like, how do you as a pastor think about, like, not just with what you're preaching, but with what you have for, like, Sunday schools mm-hmm. or what ministries you partner with? Um, how do you think about handling those things given some of the cultural turn against Mm -hmm, certain Christian mm -hmm. beliefs. Mm -hmm. And he was like, honestly, I try not to think about it too much. Mm -hmm. And the more I thought about it, the more I'm like, that probably is the right answer. Right. Because like, we know what we're called to do. Right. God's given us what we need to do it. It's not up to us to secure the outcome. Right. So we just need to actually like follow Christ and do what he called <laughs> us to do and into small that will probably look right and that will probably end up looking subversive and radical at certain right. points yeah. um not necessarily by by design but just by the nature of the act mm-hmm. so Jake I would love to hear your laundry routine as we finish up <laughs> yes so again referencing small children right we have lots of it Yes, um, I understand. I think the the routine that would be good to get into would be doing it twice a week. So um, what is your of, routine? <laughs> right. Because then you can just have like a couple small loads and it doesn't take long to fold. Yep. Um, I think we've probably done laundry twice in one week during a normal week, like maybe three times yep. since our two-year-old was born. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. Um, so typically we just end up doing it on Saturday, which bleeds over into Sunday, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Um, the probably weird thing, I guess I don't know what other people's routines are, but my wife started doing this and I have found it helpful is mm-hmm. we sort by like pajamas and underwear will be in one load, shirts oh. will be in one load, and pants will be in one load. Mm-hmm. And when you're folding, it just goes much faster because yeah. you don't have to think about what you're right. folding because right. it's all the same thing. Yeah. Um, putting it away, it's the same way. It all goes in the same drawers. So I think that helps us get it done a little faster, yeah. but I honestly don't know. Right. <laughs> there is some order being brought from chaos, though. Yes, yes, there is. But the fun one was last winter when our dryer died oh. and we had to run two um, lines across our bathroom mm-hmm. to hang our clothes mm-hmm. up there, which mm-hmm. when you have five people is a yeah. lot of clothes. Yeah, it is. And so there was like one jungle. day, yeah, like the, the day when we had the most, we had 
both lines completely covered. And I think I had every fan in the house mm-hmm. in the bathroom pointed mm-hmm. at the clothes to try mm-hmm. and dry them because we had more to hang up. Yeah. Um, thankfully, a, a friend from church, perhaps fitting with what we've been talking about, a friend from church knows some things about washers and dryers and was able to come over and help me fix the electrical issue. And nice. so we're no longer having to do that. Well, see, community yeah. pays off for your laundry, too. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, yes. Yes. Thank you so much, Jake. It's been such a pleasure. Yeah, of course. About the fabric of our, of our social and political and spiritual life. Yeah. Well, thank you for having me. This has been fun. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Jake Meter. Be sure to head on over to the show notes or always you can go to aahales.com slash podcast. Click on the show for today, episode 35. And you can find out more about Jake there as well as buy a copy of his book, In Search of the Common Good. We'd love it if you rate and review the Finding Holy podcast. Share this episode with a friend because we all need thick social fabrics to prevent the loneliness that most of us feel just in our busy lives here in the Western world. By the way, I was looking at some of the podcast statistics and we're not just from the Western world, although we do have a good fair amount of people from the US, the UK, Scandinavia, and Australia. So hello, friends. We would love it if you rated and reviewed the Finding Holy podcast. But before you go on and do that, I don't want to leave you with one small step. And it's this. I'm going to actually give you two, depending on your life stage. If you're finding yourself busy, overwhelmed with just little slivers of time, I want to give you the opportunity to notice something beautiful, whether it's something that's really made well, an artistic product, a chair, a movie, a painting, or just the way the sunlight goes through the sky. Notice it and then bring someone along with you. It not only helps slow you down, but it helps you see and share the goodness of God, where he's placed you in this time and in this place. And here's your other option for your small step and it's a little bit bigger step. Maybe you don't have the logistics or the ability at the time to do something like Jake was talking about where a whole church would get together and say, hey, teach us how to change a tire. But maybe you could start by doing something really easy like if you have lawn equipment or something you you don't need to use all the time that you might actually choose to share those sorts of things with your neighbors. So if there's a need that you see around you and you see, hey, this is a way to easily make relationships, see what you can do. Maybe you share lawn equipment or a snowblower, whatever it is. I'd love to hear about it. Be sure to tag me at AA Hales. Or use the hashtag Finding Holy Podcast. I'd love to see how it goes. And I hope that you also got some inspiration on your laundry routine because the big things matter, but so does the laundry.
This episode was brought to you in part by the Enneagram and Marriage Podcast, an outreach dedicated to bringing joy, strength, intimacy, and purpose to couples seeking growth. Be sure to visit enneagramandmarriage.com to find your chemistry together again, or for the very first time.